All right, welcome to the podcast. Today it's Pastor Talk, and it's uh, Pastor Joe and Pastor Chad. And today uh, we we wanted to talk about the Old and the New Testament, and mm. um, and God, and uh, and and that's that's the that's the prompt today. So, uh, Chad, you you teach New Testament. Yep. So, um, I'm guessing in your class you don't teach Old Testament. Nope. And that's because I do, you, actually. you don't that's... find the Old Testament valuable whatsoever. Yeah, no, unfortunately, well, I don't know if it's unfortunately, but um, you can't teach the New Testament without mentioning and teaching the Old also. You really can't. Uh, because the minute you start talking about the New Covenant, you have to start explaining other covenants. Right. Are that makes sense. Not in the New Testament. None of them. <laughs> well, and Jesus never mentioned the Old Testament. Yeah, only I mean, a Paul never. Okay, no, he did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Paul never. No, he did. Yep. A lot, actually. Yep. In fact, I'm. Peter. I'm, oh, no, he did. Yep, all the time. <clears throat> yeah, it's, in fact, uh, it's funny. I'm, I'm, as we're prior to recording this, I'm doing a commentary on Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk 2.5, um, where the prophet mentions that we should, uh, I'm going to read it because it's better. Um, it's actually not 2.5. It is, yep, I'm drawing a blank. I'm only writing a commentary on it, but you know. Okay, you look that up. Uh, the, the main reason why I want to talk about this is because it's a very common perception that people have, especially people that... Um, casually know the Bible or haven't read the Bible at all, that the God of the Old Testament is this mean, you know, just smite whoever he wants, opens up the ground and swallows everybody, um, angry, jealous God. And that's his main attributes. And then what we have in the New Testament is Jesus, who is this soft and kind and love everybody and love your neighbor as yourself person. And many people have this, this this dichotomy that, you know, that's the God of the Old Testament, right? And then we have the New Testament with Jesus. And so that's really what I wanted to address today, because when I read the Bible, and if you take an honest look at it, especially just start at the beginning <laughs> uh, in Genesis and read through, that I find a very different story. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but it, it talks about where that the righteous trust their, you know, faith. That if you're a righteous person, you trust, you put your faith in God and you trust that faith. Um, and Paul echoes that, that, uh, verse almost verbatim, um, in his writings, it's mentioned in multiple times. And there's actually, there's a, there's a commentary written by D.A. Carson and G.K. Beale, um, called the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. And it's about five or 600 pages long and it's not large print. So it's, it's this idea that, um, was prevalent. Andy Stanley mentioned it when he said we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Uh, he's since changed his mind on what he said, but which is good because you you can't. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and if you really dig into his attributes and who he is and what he says in the Old Testament, Jesus echoes the same things. He just does it in a different way. Um, God doesn't change. God has never changed and never will change. Um, it's just how humanity how we've changed because of his grace and mercy has allowed things to be different for us. And, and what I'm talking about is the covenants, like how, how the covenants are administered um, between um, Abraham, which is, there's no conditions in that covenant. God just simply makes him a promise. 
and that uh, that he will be the father of many nations, and that, that, that essentially um, he doesn't know it at the time, but that the Messiah will come through his line. Um, Abraham doesn't have to do anything for that. Uh, Noah, the same thing, uh, and David, the same thing. And then it comes to Moses, and there's there's hey, I will be your God, and you'll be my people. But here's all these rules you have to follow too, right? Um, that system doesn't change in the New Testament, and a lot of and a lot of Christians think it does. Well, and and then it, yeah, that's true because there's there's really there's two prevailing kind of camps, and within those there's there's enormous um, differences. But the, there's the two camps is one side is covenant theology, mm-hmm. and the other side is dispensationalism. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to get too much into that because it's an insanely uh, confusing. But if yeah. you want to go study it yourself, go down that rabbit hole. But essentially, dispensationalism is where God deals with humanity in different dispensations, generally about seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's different numbers, but seven is the general uh, dispensationalism number where God essentially has different rules that that humanity abides by to to align themselves with God, and then that is uh, uh, different in in covenant theology in that God deals with people in covenants. Mm-hmm. But the thing about covenant theology is that we believe that it's really the same mm-hmm. the whole time. God is just gradually revealing himself yep. through covenants. It's not that the rules are changing. The rules have always been the same. The way that people are saved today is the same way that Abraham was saved. Faith. It's faith alone. Yep. And that's why, you know, um, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, when they're talking about faith and the the different the you know what they call it the hall of faith and different people they would say that they were saved by faith which mm-hmm. turns out hey that's what we're saved by today <laughs> um and it's based on their their current knowledge of of whatever god has revealed to them so with abraham god said go yep. right he said i will do this for you you go to the place and abraham did god said go and sacrifice your only son and abraham was going to yeah right he was just about to and god stopped him and and so and it tells us that abraham was justified by faith yep and and what what the way that's explained is an, an author and he's actually a friend of mine rl solberg um he wrote a book called Torism. And he has another new one out called Divergence. I haven't finished it yet, but I just I just got it. Anyway, he mentions, um, and this is not unique to him, but the way he explains it is the principles and expressions framework. Basically, the law of God, God's principles, has never changed. And and if we're talking about salvation, if we're talking about like ritual purity, right? God says, um, in salvation-wise, atonement, blood for atonement, is a principle of God's law that has never changed. It has always existed. That there shall always be blood for atonement. In 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 with Adam and Eve, it's when God killed the first animals to essentially cover up their shame and their sin, which was immediately after their sin. Right. And so he he God shed blood to atone for their sin. That same thing happens throughout the Mosaic Covenant with all the different sacrifices and ceremonies and, and different things. Blood was still shed for atonement. That law, that principle has never changed. How it was expressed in the different covenants has changed. And in the New Covenant, in Jesus, the principle is still there that there's blood for atonement. Well, Jesus' blood was shed once and for all. Right. So that we don't have to keep having these sacrifices over and over. That's what the writer of Hebrews says as well. That we don't have to have these repeated sacrifices of goats and bulls and lambs repeatedly over and over again. The the satisfaction of God's standard that is blood for atonement has been has been um 
met in different ways throughout the different covenants. And, and, but it's always been there. It's never changed. Right. And so then if people can still agree to all that, and they'll be like, well, but still, the God of the Old, in the Old Testament, he exhibited much more angry behavior. You know, he did all these different things. And to that, I would still say, no. No. Go start reading from the beginning. Just start at Genesis and, and read how patient he is with Abraham and Jacob and, and all these people. And they screw up. I mm -hmm. mean, Abraham screwed up and God just comes back and doesn't even really like mention it. Right. But then doubles down on the covenant that he gave Abraham, right? It was a one-sided covenant where uh, God uh, walked through the two um, separated pieces of the animal yeah. by himself, and Abraham was put in a deep sleep. And so then, right after that, God triples down and continues to say how he's going to bless him and all these different things. So, And that whole event is a foreshadowing of Christ. It's a typology of exactly what he's going to do with Christ. Right. It's God himself is the sacrifice to justify humanity to god <laughs> it's 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 and it, it's it's consistent like you're saying it's it's never been any different and we can even look at examples of and, and things that people will say are immense uh examples in the old testament of, of a wrathful angry god right if we look at how he's destroyed sodom and gomorrah well he says a lot show me somebody who's righteous if you if you can he is he is god is exhibiting his mercy and his grace and his desire to save humanity even in that moment knowing that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because there isn't anybody righteous there. But he still says a lot, show me one person. He, and he works his way down this number of lists, these numbers of people. Show me, I forgot the exact numbers, but show me a hundred people. Nope, you can't do that. Show me five people. Heck, show me even one person in either of these areas and I will spare all of them. You have to go seriously far into the Bible of God being patient and loving and just giving one-sided benefits to people yeah. before you find him act, becoming angry at all. And he was justified to be angry in many situations. Mm -hmm. And then when he actually is, he's go 100%. It's understandable. Yeah. It's completely justified. And in God, it is perfect righteous anger. He, he is, in fact, he should be angry <laughs> in that moment. That is uh, what should have happened and well, we can look at we can look at the nation of israel as an example itself all throughout the old testament is a demonstration of god's patience god's mercy god's grace god's desire his love for israel and his people the children of god repeatedly time and time and time and time again and we're told in the bible multiple different places that a loving father is a father who disciplines and we're both dads we have a lot of kids it's not loving to not discipline our children. That's unloving to Correct. say, go ahead and do all, do whatever you want. Go out and do whatever you want. I don't care if you get hurt, even though I know that if you drink uh, uh, antifreeze, it's going to kill you. Um, you know what? If that's, if that's what makes you happy, just go ahead and do it. No, God, that is consistent through God all along. Hey, I, God, speaking to us in different ways and, and how uh, he has progressively revealed himself throughout scripture, like you said, it's, it's been, hey, I know what's better for you. Just trust me. <laughs> that has been the message all along. And because we are hard-headed, stupid, stubborn, and, and, and have sin, we have a sinful nature, we turn our backs on God and, say, and doubt him. It goes back to Eve. Eve, the serpent, when she looks at the tree and, and admires the tree, people think that she just, oh, went up there and took the fruit and ate it. No. There is time when it says in Genesis 2, and three, that she says that she looks at the tree and admires it and, and sees that the fruit is desirable. And like, she thinks about it before she does it. And she makes a conscious knowing decision 
to do something God said not to do. Why? Because God knows better. And it's just, it's, it's, it's this idea that we think that because, well, now God punished them. If he didn't punish wrongdoing, if he didn't punish sin, he's not just. He's, he's unloving. He's not just. And, and, and that he's a liar because most of scripture says that he will ultimately punish sin. And I, I mentioned Habakkuk a little while ago. Habakkuk and other prophets constantly turn to God and like, why are you not punishing injustice? Why are you not dealing with the evil of the world? Why? And all along, uh, Nathan and I were talking about this a few minutes ago, being a prophet is not a cool job. It's, it's a horrible position. But all along, these people are like, well, why, why are you not punishing sin? Why are you not punishing this wrongdoing? Why are you not punishing social injustice? Why, why are you not doing these things? And God, if we look forward to Revelation, we know when Christ returns is the ultimate punishment, the ultimate justice being done. And as a believer, as somebody who loves God and who's a follower of Christ, we should have that same desire in us to say, God, there's injustice in the world, but we know because of the new covenant, we know that ultimately... God's justice will be done, and there will be no more sin. There will be no more evil, because he's a God of his word. He, he promises to, to satisfy that justice, and he will. And if he doesn't, he's a liar. If you, if you start at Genesis, and you go, and, and you just start reading it, and you ask yourself, as you see God's actions, and you see people respond to God, like, just ask yourself, like, why did God do that? <laughs> why did God act that way? How would... You know, if I were God, would I have acted in this situation? And what I find is that he is super patient and kind and loving. And in Exodus 34, 6, once you finally get there all through Genesis, most of the way through Exodus, and it, uh, and it says the Lord comes in front of Moses, right? And he's like announcing about himself. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to <laughs> anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and it, you know that verse like taken out of it if you didn't read everything leading up to that you'd been like oh okay but that that's what god comes and the first time he like announces about himself like who he is and what he is right before he comes and he talks and he says different things and he gives people laws and he promises them things but this is like he's talking about himself and this is like this is the first thing that i really want you guys to understand mm -hmm. i am compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness and he goes on to say more things about himself but he also is but i i always find it super interesting that that's what God finds that we need to know first about yeah. him. And, and like I said, as a loving father, he gives so many chances. And, and again, and a lot of people will say, <clears throat> one of the examples that I've heard people talk to many, many times about the, the quote unquote evil God of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, or the different God, the wrathful God, the angry God of the Old Testament, is they point to the end of Joshua when, when God tells the uh, Israelites to destroy the Canaanites. And and even though they don't do it, because we know, because they intermarry later on. So we, we know that, that that Israel still isn't obedient. But um, I've had many people bring me out to, well, so if, if God is so, you know, uh, uh, good, then how come he tells the Israelites to wipe out another race of people? I'm like, well... It's, it's one of the ones that people <laughs> always bring up. It's like, because... We have a desire there's, for God to do justice. There's two times in the Bible. <laughs> there's two times in the Bible, and people will cherry pick those yep. with no context, with no attempt at understanding, and and they'll they'll use those as the examples of. See, right. look, God is unjust. 
And when in fact, those are glowing examples of God being just. Mm -hmm. And he, and what he's saying is with, especially with the Canaanites in that example is they are, and I've used this example too, and I'm not, this isn't unique to me. Apologists do this all the time is saying, well, okay, was it, was it justifiable? Was it just for us to shut down the, the Nazis in world war two? Yes, it was very just, right? They were not good people. They were not doing good things. They were practicing eugenics. They were torturing people, just being horrible to other humans. And, well, guess what? That's exactly what the Canaanites were doing. They were the same. It was the same type of thing. They offered babies to the god Moloch, and they would burn children alive. And if you, if you, <laughs> that is God's justice. You know, if first of all, you have to believe that God is just. And if you don't believe that, then you, then you're going to interpret things in the wrong way. Right. But when we don't have context in the Bible, you have to look at other parts of the Bible to interpret God's. Um, character because he's consistent and his character is the same no matter what. So when we see, you know, him ordering for them to destroy an entire nation, everybody, right? Let's look at the other times where we do have context where God destroyed everything himself, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, they were really bad. Yeah. It was really bad. And um, a Abraham wanted to save them, right? And he kept, and we have kind of that comedic exchange between God and Abraham where it's like, well, if there's 50, well, if there's 40, well, right. if there's 20, or it's so many times where it goes back and forth and it ends up, what, 10? Yeah. And well, it goes down to one. <laughs> right. He, they can't find anybody. Right. They don't find anybody. So there's literally nobody righteous. There's nobody innocent. So God's justice in that context where we have the context, right, yep. is perfect. And so to me, that means when God makes another uh, decision, he is perfect and justified. And we can say all the reasons why and different things, but looking at it in that way and trusting in God is, is going to yield a much more accurate result of his character character than um, interpreting and, and putting in your own details that we don't even have. Right. And two, it's, it's, we have to understand what is righteous. What does that mean? What is, what is right? What is good? In, in the, the God of the Old Testament and new, the consistent God throughout the whole thing, our triune God, is the very standard of right. So therefore, anything that he says is wrong is wrong, period. And there's no, there's no debating that. There's no discussing that. It's, it's like saying, if I look at a ruler and say, well, what's an inch? Well, that's an inch. Well, you know, maybe that's not actually an inch. No, that's the very standard from which we measure an inch. Right. When we talk about <laughs> God's attributes, about his character, when we say God is loving, uh, what the Bible actually said is, is that God is love. What right. that means is we don't make up what's loving and then we see that God is that. Right. What God is, what we see in God, that is actually what love is. And so if we do something apart from that, it's then unloving. we're not love. It's right. false. It's fake. It's not love. So if we see God is justice, right? So the way that God is, if there's something that we're doing that is not aligning with God, then we are injustice. Yep. And that's the true with all of God's no attributes. Grace, mercy. And, and uh, it can even be something that faithfulness. we would... Even, right, exactly. And it can even be something that we would consider good by human standards, right? It, and it's it's like idol worship. There's there's times that we would say things that are good, um, like you know being being a hard worker and working good for your boss and um, and and trying to you know make a good living and earning money and it's like okay well if that becomes your priority versus whatever God says is good, even if that is a good thing as far as the world says it is, God says it's not a good thing. Therefore, it's not a good thing. You know, it's 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 and it's so hard and and this is where you have to really accept that it's it's black and white. Either God is sovereign or he's not. 
there's no gray area in that. He's either sovereign or he's not sovereign. You know, this is a silly <laughs> example, but we're, when I'm, I think it's kind of appropriate when we're talking about one thing, you know, what we think lining up with God and there being this arbitrary standard. I remember um, in high school, I was playing uh, a Star Wars game, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And in this game, you make choices, right? And every interaction you have, you either got light side points or dark side points, depending <laughs> on um, if you chose you know, the quote unquote right or wrong. Well, I remember one part in this game and I'm one of those people that I always have to choose the correct thing. I cannot choose the wrong thing. Uh, that's a different discussion. But <laughs> so I remember I'm doing this one thing and I'm trying to help these people. And I made a decision that I knew aligned with the Bible. Yeah. And then I got dark side points. I was like, what kind of... <laughs> and then it started realizing to me that, you know, the, the, the light side, it doesn't correlate, correlate necessarily with um, what is actually true, what God aligns with. Right. And, and so, um, it, it's who by whoever made the game decided this was right and this was wrong. And so, uh, it was something to do with human life and justice. And I can't remember what it was, well, you said trial very, or something. You actually just said something that's very poignant. Whoever made the game decides what's right or wrong. Right. Well, guess what? Whoever made the world decides what's right or wrong. Right. That would be God. Right. And it aligns <laughs> perfectly with him. Yeah. With his beliefs, but God doesn't change, so it's what he is. Right. And, um, and, and in the new, flipping this to the New Testament, we see this revealed in the person of Christ. Who he is, is the manifestation and the reality in a human way. And Jesus said that. He of said... all of God's standards. If you've seen me, you've seen, you've the, seen Father. the Father. No difference whatsoever. Yeah, and, then and the that's a very Hebrews, powerful the statement. Hebrews says that, that, that Jesus is basically an exact representation, an exact copy of God. Who God is, is seen exactly in Christ's nature. Well, Christ is loving, he is patient, he is kind, but he does demonstrate some anger sometimes. Mm -hmm. he, and, and, and it's not, it's a righteous anger against the things that God says are wrong, or that Christ says are wrong. Why? Because he's God. And he is the perfect manifestation of everything that God is. Why? Because he's God. And it's, it's, it's when you see that and you look at it, um, that how Jesus walked and the things, it's, 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 it's Jesus, the son, is consistent with God, the father in the Old Testament. They, you really have to go, in my opinion, you have to really work hard to say that they're different. And if you actually study the old, and, and again, a lot of Christians don't do this. And I, and I, I understand on some aspect, but then I don't on others. It's, it's, if you don't, if you don't understand the God of the old Testament, you don't understand Jesus. You just don't because they're the same. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 you don't understand why Jesus came. You don't understand why Jesus had to live the way he lived, why Jesus had to die the way he died, why he had to rise again. You don't, without understanding the entirety of how God dealt with the world prior to that, you don't understand why. If you had, you know, if you're reading the Bible and you come across something that's difficult, that's okay. Yeah. That's normal. And it but, should be that way. But don't drop it. Like right. the reason that's difficult for you is because you have a, you don't have an understanding of God. And that's an opportunity for you to dive in. We had VBS last week and there was a there was a girl who uh, was listening to the lesson and she came up afterwards and said you know, this isn't what my church teaches. Like, I'm having a hard time with this. Like, what do I do? And um, 
I, I know Pastor Mike talked to her and my wife talked to her, but I was saying if I was there and I was saying it, I would, I would say something to the tune of, you know, truth is something, never something that you should be afraid of. Right. Right? There, there, there's nothing to be afraid of because if you find that what you were thinking is not true, then get rid of it. Don't you want what's true? Right. So just study the Bible more. I believe that the Bible is completely true, no yep. flaws, that there's nothing that I should be afraid of learning about God, that, right. that my worldview is going to come crashing down or any of these different things. So if I find something that challenges something that I believe, and what I believe turns out to be incorrect, <laughs> then I'm going to discard what's incorrect because yeah. I want to believe what's true. I well, want to hold on to the, the aspects, truth. One of the aspects of that is, and, and you know as well as I do that I've dealt with this quite a bit in the last year or so, um, is people looking at the law and, and, and Christians looking at the law of Moses and seeing it as a bad thing. And even Paul says it's not. It's good. Why? Because it is an expression of God's standards. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, have some of it, has it changed? Yeah. Has it, how we, how we follow it and how it's binding on our lives in the new covenant, is it different? It is. It doesn't mean it's bad. And, that, and that's where a lot of things, because I think a lot of Christians don't understand it, and it's Old Testament, and they really, and, and don't get me wrong, even, even going through seminary, there was, outside of taking Old Testament classes, there was not a huge focus on the Old Testament. There's just not, and, and which is bad. And, and, and there's a lot of Christians who come into Christianity, and, I, and I've said this myself, and I'll say it again, that they're new to Christianity, and the first place they go is John, right? And then they'll go to the other Gospels, the Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they go into Romans and Acts, and, and they're re- never really encouraged to go do a deep study of the Old Testament. But then when you start reading into, and I tell people this too, go to, if you want to read from Genesis on, go for it. Read the Torah first, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Read that. It's beautiful. And, it, and again, if you're looking for... If you, like you said a few minutes ago, if you understand that God is just, God is good, God is compassionate, God is loving, God is graceful, and you start with that mindset and read through the Old Testament, it's easy to see it. Mm-hmm. If you go in saying, well, I'm looking for an angry, mean, vengeful God, well, then that's what you're going to see, yeah. even though that's not the case. I, it, yeah, it is a, it's, a, it's a confirmation bias, because oh, if you read it to look for the couple examples where God is angry, okay, yeah, you'll find him. Yeah. But if you're looking reading the look for the times when God is patient and loving and gracious, you will find a lot more of them than right. you think there are. And if you go through the Old Testament, and I've said this before too, is it, with the lenses of Christ. If you go through it looking for Jesus, and you looking, you're looking for how Yeshua behaves in the New Testament, and you're looking for that same person in the Old Testament, it's really obvious because he's there. And it's, it's, it's so blatant, but it, 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 yeah, it's, 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 and if you go like into the prophets, and Nathan and I were just talking about this a minute ago, and how the job of a prophet actually kind of sucked, right? Like being, <laughs> being called like today's be the oh well, Jesus came and he's like, you guys are the ones that killed all the prophets. Yep, yep. <laughs> it sucks to be a prophet. Like they're never accepted in their hometown, <laughs> right? And it's like you have these modern day people who are going out there saying, "I'm a prophet," and they're you know lifted up, and people love them, and it's like that's not a prophet. And if you go read what the prophets wrote, and you read about the lament and the and the 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 just how they loved God so much and, and were fearful and trying to just get Israel to do things right. And it's, it's, that is God. It's, it's God communicating through the prophets and saying, this is my heart. Go tell them to stop doing these things, please, because I love them and I am just and I have to punish sin. I have to. Please tell them to stop. Please. Because I would prefer they just do things the right way and be in 
communion with me and reconcile themselves to me because that way of life, as you and I both know, once you come to Christ, that way of life is so much more full. It's so much more peaceful and loving and it's not as I make it easy, but it's it's just it's just better. Yeah, and 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 besides just going back and reading through the Old Testament, an, an an amazing study to do is to go back and study all the covenants. Yeah, because it's it's one of the main things that shows God's character. It gives us so much information about God. It starts with the Abrahamic covenant, <laughs> where it's just it's this it's this one sided like I'm gonna. I'm going to bless you no matter what, which is uh, a, a complete example of what we have right now. And it's the beginning of our, of our covenant that we live in right now. And then we have the, the Davidic covenant where he promises that, uh, you know, you're going to have a king that's yeah. going to be on the throne forever. And it's going to come through your line, David. And, um, and then we had the Mosaic covenant where... Uh, We'll switch rows around. Mosaic coming in a second, yeah. but it's it's uh, when uh, you know God makes this covenant with them in the desert. But it's so different than the Abrahamic covenant because yeah. it's it's a both sides, right? He says, if you do these things, if you follow my commandments, then I will bless you. But then opposite, a complete opposite. If you don't, I will curse you in the same way. <laughs> and and so we see that played out in the, in the desert. We see that played out through all these different kings, uh, good kings and bad kings, mostly bad kings. Yeah. And we see that really what the Israelites should have learned from that is that they can't keep the law, yeah. right? They, 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 in themselves, they're just failures, um, and, and, and they're going to not be able to keep it. Um, and then the Davidic covenant, and then when we get to, uh, you know, in Jeremiah, it promises the new covenant, but when we get to the new covenant and Jesus comes, it's interesting because he talks about you know, the Mosaic law. And he says he's fulfilling it. Yep. And it's interesting when you go back because the Pharisees thought that they were fulfilling everything, <laughs> right? They thought they were. And Jesus was like, no, if you look at a woman with lust, then you've already committed adultery, mm -hmm. right? So they thought they weren't committing adultery, but their minds weren't pure. Uh, he says, if you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered him. Yeah, and that same person, and, Matthew, says if you, if you call your brother or another human being a fool, if you even call him a fool, an idiot, a moron, right? Congratulations, you have committed a grave sin. Yep. And if you've committed one of these... James, too. <laughs> you've committed all of them. Yes, and equally. So, so they didn't understand that, that that covenant was supposed to show them, you can't do it. Right. You just 100%, you can't do it. And Jesus came, he's like... No, you don't understand. You really can't do it. Yep. Um, good thing that I have a plan, yep. and I'm going to pay the price, and we live under the new covenant, and um, we're all familiar with that one, but uh, <laughs> that's what we live under, the well, grace of God. for those who aren't, God. that is the gospel. It's, it's, it's if you, if you uh, accept and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and it goes beyond believe, and I, I really try to discipline myself to stop saying believe in Jesus. Because that's that's a step, but even even the Bible says it. This that Jesus says this, and Paul says it. Even demons believe in who He is. Demons believe in the Word of God. They believe in Scripture. They believe in the inerrancy and truth of Scripture. It's why. Well, they were present for all of it, and they know who Jesus is. We can look at in, in Luke when 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 he casts out the, the demons, and the demons recognize immediately. Like when the, when the um, oh gosh, where is it? Where they. Uh, somebody's trying to cast out demons in, in the name of Christ, and, and they're like, uh, the demons say to him, look, Jesus I know, Paul I know, <laughs> who are you? Mm -hmm. Like, you're nobody. They know, and so to say believe 
yes, that's an element of it, obviously, because Scripture says it is. However, it's it's trust. It is it is that that. I'm going to let go of everything, step off the cliff, and trust what Jesus says about who he is. Yeah, it's faith. Yeah. It's <laughs> it, I mean, it's it, we're saved through faith, and faith isn't just belief. It's no. belief and um, and action. And like Romans 10, uh, 9, yeah. which people will always um, quote in, in, in Salvation, it's, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's two different things, right? Mm-hmm. If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, right? And believe in your heart. So you have an action, right? And then you have a belief. Now those are, they go together, but it's not a one-time thing, right? This is not a, this is not, you know, how to pray a prayer to be saved. This is, uh, this is assurance for yourself, right? If you confess that Jesus is Lord and you keep saying words, we know that doesn't mean anything. It's not a magic word prayer. It's, it's, is Jesus Lord of your life? And you proclaim that, and people see that, and like it's that's part of your life that Jesus is Lord. Like when I, if I say someone is Lord, like if I said you were my Lord, but like I didn't serve you and I didn't live for <laughs> like I didn't right. do what you wanted, right. then you're not. I just said something that's silly, right? That, and and so if Jesus is your Lord, that really means that you serve Him. You live for him. He's in charge of you in every way. And then you also believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And so those two things uh, go together. And, it's, and what's important it's is, is believing and trusting and having faith doesn't mean 100% full comprehension and understanding of how. Right? And I think a lot of people really get That's that. good. They, people, people really mistake the two things and say, even even as a scholar, and, and both of us have been through seminary and, and have, have education and, and years of doing this and studying... There are still some things that I'm like, I don't understand. Like when people say the, the hypostatic union, the, how the triune God holds together, how they exist as three in one, even though I can explain it, I really truly don't understand how it's done. I don't know. Right. No human does. Right. We might never. <laughs> we might never know. And that's We're okay. We're not God. <laughs> and that's okay. We'll never be God. Right. Um, I mean, did Abraham know about Jesus? No. Did Abraham understand uh, the triune God? Did Abraham understand faith no god just said something to him and he believed and he did yep right so that's the same thing as Romans 10 9 he believed in his heart that god was telling the truth and he obeyed god as his lord it's right? also the same thing he says in romans where you're not just hearers of the word but doers of the yes word. it's so it's exactly the same thing and so uh we get very very caught up in our modern day church where knowledge is super abundant but this is a unique age um, you know, even a few hundred years ago, most people didn't know how to read. Yeah. And uh, they were reliant on, on upon what other people taught them and different things. And now we have scholars who can not only read in one language, they can read in multiple languages and and understand and, and the difference between the languages. And, and, it, and have 2,000 years of scholarship uh, <laughs> that they built upon. So yeah. they had a whole bunch of work that they didn't have to do themselves. Yeah. And um, are those people any more saved than the people that, uh, you know, uh, have just read the Bible for the first time? No, because it's belief. Who have only ever heard the gospel and never even seen a Bible. It's faith, (laughs) faith in Jesus that saves you um, and, and nothing else. And now... That being said, diving into the knowledge of the Lord, growing in your faith, um, it's a wonderful thing. It's a really good thing. It's something that we will do for the rest of eternity. If you think that uh, growing in our knowledge of the Lord is going to end when you die, nope, I don't think so. I think that we will spend the rest of eternity 
uh, learning more and understanding better an infinite God and his unfathomable love. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, it says that eternity is, 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 uh, is knowing Jesus Christ. So, eternity starts now. Yeah. And, uh, and so, we start now learning about God. Um, hopefully, that passion spills over into other people wanting to learn more about God, to have a relationship with Him. And, and even, man, it's just, it's just so, I, I don't want to use the word fun, but it's fun. And, and you and I geek out about this all the time, but it's, it's when you're when you're really studying God's word and really trying to understand verse by verse, word for for by word, who God is and what He is revealing about Himself. Man, you will read the same scripture a hundred times, and then the hundred and first time you're going, "Why have I never seen that? That's been there the whole time. I have read this over and oh, dude, I, I, I'm talking about Habakkuk. I, I preached a series on Habakkuk, and now I'm because of school, I'm writing a commentary on it and and realizing things. That I never realized. Why? Because I just glanced over, like in in two five, where it talks about you know being wine, and we talked about this a little while ago. In the, the word wine, there yain, uh, in the Hebrew, is could be and probably was wealth. It works both ways, but it's something I never even considered. Why? Because the deeper you study and the more you study, the more God reveals to you. Right? It's just like you know the difference between learning basic arithmetic and calculus. Right? It's it's essentially the same stuff. It's still just numbers and how things work together as numbers. But the more you study it and the deeper you study it, the more is revealed to you. Why? Because as you mature, as God sees you mature, as your faith grows, and now you can handle more knowledge, right? You know, a five-year-old can't handle, well, some probably could, but the knowledge of calculus because it's just too much, right? Okay, so you teach a five-year-old one plus one, two plus two, and you start working your way toward it. You got to mm-hmm. walk before you run. Mm-hmm. And it just it just becomes... I don't know. It just becomes something fun, and it's it's it's, it's like all you want to do. <laughs> so I think in closing, uh, what I just want to really encourage everybody listening is go read the Old Testament. <laughs> yes, uh, it is rich. It is full of God and His character. There's so many things you can learn from it, and go read it. It's it's really really good. Um, as always, this episode was sponsored by Behringer for all of your incredibly specific farming equipment mm. needs that you have. Maybe a quesadilla press. Mm. Mm, I don't know. Behringer does some really great incredibly things. Um, and I just want to thank them for sponsoring this episode. And we'll see you next time.